0: from here to there we cannot go unless we change and start to grow welcome to lead sell grow a show that helps you amplify your leadership grow your sales and take your life to the next level all while being human here are your hosts eric konovalov and harry spate Harry, I am so stoked about today's guest. I'm excited and honored to introduce Pasha Palanker. He's an amazing leader. He's a combat warrior, a soldier. He's been awarded the Purple Heart twice, not once, but twice. During Pasha's multiple deployments to Iraq, he stared death in the face numerous times, including shooting and killing a suicide bomber who was within a few feet of his Humvee. As if that wasn't enough, Pasha then was blown up 15 feet in the air after stepping on a landmine. Man, what a story. You know, miraculously, he did not suffer any physical wounds, but when he came home to his wife and four children, he was greatly suffering from PTSD. Along his incredible journey that we're going to hear about today, Pasha has impacted thousands of lives. He became a mental health advocate, a speaker on personal growth. He co-founded The Compound, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu and Muay Thai combatives gym. He was accepted to join the elite skydiving team, Fast Tracks. You've probably seen these guys fly into big stadiums waving the American flag. And he's the owner of Brick by Brick, an organization that helps victims of PTSD, depression, and other invisible wounds get their identity back. So without any further ado, let's welcome Pasha Palanker to the show. Pasha, what's the good word? How are you today, brother?
1: Hey, Eric. Hey, Eric. Grateful to be here and joining for this conversation. We're we're super grateful to have Absolutely. you,
2: Absolutely, and we are recording as we speak, which is a huge step up for us. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. Bosh, for those of um, for those listeners who don't know, can you describe what it's like to
1: live with PTSD? Um, so, like with uh, PTSD, I feel like there's two parts to it. One is when you're aware that you're living with PTSD, and the other one when when you're living with it and and you don't really know what's going on, you're either in denial or just don't think that's you. And I've lived like that for probably the first 10 years uh, of my struggle with PTSD. And now I understand what's going on with me. Uh, Whenever I get, I I go through a lot of ups and downs, and right now I'm in the middle of a pretty pretty significant low where I'm struggling and the best way I could describe it is as if uh, you took a regular person and you threw a pretty heavy weight on onto that person and uh, made them live like that go about your daily activities while carrying the huge burden on your shoulders I feel it on my chest um, so, because of that, there's a lot that I have to do. Like I have to have routines almost for everything in order to go through my, you know, daily functions. But a lot of times, even that is not enough, and I and I uh, end up, you know, blowing up or like losing control or or falling into like a, some kind of self-destructive uh, behavior. So, it's a lot of work. I mean, look, listening to you now, you sound
0: very calm and peaceful as you usually do, but inside, there's a whole
1: different world from what we see on the outside. It's invisible. That's why, like, I like to call these the invisible wounds. Like, yeah, being uh, physically wounded, it, and I was very lucky. My physical wounds were, were, were very minor compared to a lot of my close friends who are missing. You know, three limbs. Uh, so my physical wounds—they heal, healed up pretty quickly. But this, this invisible stuff—that—that uh, that has had a pretty big impact on my life. And, and because of, because of my suffering, my family suffered. The worst part is my kids suffered.
0: Do you find it easier to talk about your experiences in Iraq?
1: Uh, I find it. It doesn't bother me to talk about uh, my experiences in Iraq, but I find therapeutic is talking about PTSD in itself. It makes me feel like by sharing my story, sharing my struggles, I'm able to help others, especially those who might not even realize that they're struggling just like I was. Because, you know, our services, they do a great job getting us ready for combat. They do a horrible job getting us ready for life after combat. Yeah, they like before you get out, you'll have all these classes on how to write a resume, how to find a job, and this and that. But I've been in for 17 years. I've never sat, you know, through any kind of real training of what does PTSD feel like? What what are the symptoms? What do you do when you start feeling in that way? And because of that, you know, when I was struggling, I didn't. I did not know that that's what I was struggling from so I did not get help and it took me 10 years and 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 hitting that rock bottom before like I had no choice I had to get help it was like sitting at the rock bottom there's two options either suicide you just get away from everything or you start clawing your way out I just feel like it's such a shame that there's just not more done to educate our service members so that they can get ahead of the problem instead of dealing with it after hitting that bottom.
0: I'm very glad that you decided to climb out because to me, you are my one of my personal heroes. And I think I've shared that and I share that openly. This is probably the only time in the history of the world where a US Marine is gonna call a soldier his hero, but you're my hero, Pasha and now it's now it's recorded out there for everybody um i briefly gave an overview of what you've been through but do you mind telling the listeners exactly what happened with the humvee that day and how uh you know if you're if you're open to talking about your second experience as well
1: um so with the with the suicide bomber i was um uh, i was a gunner in my humvee when uh We came under attack by a a suicide bomber in a vehicle, so a vehicle-borne IED, that's what we call them. We're just driving down the road. Uh, The way things worked back then, when a, a U.S. convoy would come up, whatever cars are driving on the road, they would just peel off to the side and either stop or continue to drive slowly. So this suicide bomber was ahead of us. And as the lead vehicle approached, he peeled off to the side and and did what uh, normal vehicles in Iraq did. And uh, I was in the third vehicle. The second vehicle was the EOD bomb truck, which is very uh, distinguished uh, Humvee. And that's what he was going after. So as the EOD truck was approaching him, he started to kind of move into him. And I noticed that. And so I fired off a warning shot. Mine uh, before I was holding an employee. I had a cruiser a machine gun, but I was holding it before. So I just fired off a warning shot. And he like swerved off the road. I was like, all right, just not paying attention. So that got the EOD truck past him, and then I kind of stayed paying attention to him. And then as we started getting closer, we were in the next vehicle to get up to him. He started slowly moving into me, and I was like, "Huh, oh, that's not right. So I, I fired another warning shot, and I didn't do anything. So then like, I started, I started shooting at the car as he continued to push towards my vehicle and at the closest he was about two feet away parallel with me and he was so close that I had to lean over my uh protective plate that's the only way I can I can uh engage him so I was leaning over and shooting him and uh that moment I remember this this feeling like this door open up to this level of anger unlike I've ever like i ever experienced before in my life and uh, there's no way like a normal brain would do something leaning over right over to where, you know, something's about to blow up in your face. But that anger is what pushed me to take the action and I was able to shoot him and stop and eventually went past him and he ended up blowing up about, 10 feet behind my Humvee, and that's what you can see in the video but what i realized i just realized recently after years of therapy and and talking having several good therapists but it was just within the last few months that i kept talking about this this experience like my my current therapist jessica she narrowed in and she and and she wanted to nail down And the more i talked about it the more i realized that door to this like primordial anger it opened up and i feel like it never closed so now whenever i get flooded whenever i get set off over the edge it goes from zero to like I'm facing that suicide bomber again, and that's a very hard way to live a normal life, especially when you have a family. And, and for me, I have four boys, all under ten years old, and, and that's a lot of noise, a lot of stimulation, a lot of stuff that that kind of sets me off. Yeah. So that was that was my suicide bomber experience. Yeah. Our,
2: first, I mean, our hearts go out to you. I mean, I, you know, th- this is one of those things that we can only empathize, but we people like me, we have no clue as to what that must feel like, even though you described it as carrying a weight and just surviving day to day. Um, When you, you mentioned one of the things that caught my attention is that uh, there's not really a lot of training for that. Um, So when did you start thinking that, uh, you know, it was, it was on you to try to start helping people?
1: So I hit the rest of that that deployment with the suicide bomber. That was 2005. In 2015, I went back to Iraq where I got hurt again, and uh, I was really struggling pretty badly before I went to Iraq in 2015. But going back, everything that was kind of stuffed down got unzipped, and then I ended up getting hurt again. By the time I got home, I was done. I, I could not cannot go to a grocery store. I would drive to work and like I would lose my like awareness of my surroundings so that's when I hit that rock bottom when there's only two options there when I decided to ask for help so I asked for help and, and I started doing it and I had to do a lot of things to kind of get out from 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 where I used to be but as I started to get better having been at the rock bottom I noticed other guys when they're struggling when they're I kind of feel mm-hmm. that they're going through so that's when I would like you know, bring something up or just ask a question, you know, kind of get it going. So I would start talking to them and I would share some of these things that have helped me. And uh, the more this went on, first of all, the better I felt because I could see the impact. It even got to a point to where wives of guys that I used to serve would find me on Facebook and message me and... and Ask that I reach out and talk to them. I've never talked to the woman before, but the word would get around, and they would reach out to me. Uh, and uh, so that made me feel like I was making an impact. The stuff that I was sharing was helping. So that kind of created that drive to keep it going. And then it turned into uh, me getting invited to speak to speak at veteran uh, nonprofits, and and that's kind of how I became a speaker talking about. Uh, mental health. Never thought. Never in my life did I think that I would be like a, a public speaker, a keynote speaker. Um, just happy. Yeah. Well, well, I'm I'm
2: sure uh, many thousands of people are happy that 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 uh, natural ev- uh
1: occurrence took place.
2: So, do you look at that? Do you look at that as uh, your continued service?
1: Absolutely. I uh, so in 2015, when when I was at the rock bottom, my my, my doctors told me that that's it. I was done. not deploy anymore. So I lost my deploy the deployer deployability status and that was a big part of my identity. Uh, so since then I've been looking for a way to serve again. And uh this what this has morphed into that certainly gave me that new purpose. And uh, now getting involved with several organizations that are impacting veterans uh has been pretty big for me and especially because it's happening naturally i'm not forcing it i'm not doing any of this for the money it's just it's about the message and getting the message out.
2: It's awesome good for you good for so, us gosh, how do
1: you get yeah totally how do you get yourself out of
0: the episodes when you're in them
1: so it's it's not the same every time i'll share how i get out of it but i'll just say it's not the same every time sometimes one thing will work but another one will not Sometimes nothing works, and I just have to hunker down, kind of remove myself from the family and just wait it out. One thing that has happened with 100% certainty is all of this will, will pass. Even when I did not know what I was doing, did not have those positive habits in place to get myself out, eventually this this cloud that would kind of sit over me, it would pass and then I'd get back to being my normal self. There's probably two things that are, that are crucial to me getting out of these and it's uh, running, running, bicycling, any kind of physical activity that has me moving that I can do for at least an hour where i can think and i i can process and i'm out in nature but it's that's the it's the physical activity with the endorphin release and all of that stuff but it's really processing it's clearing clearing up that fog that's that's in my head when i'm struggling so that's one and whenever that doesn't work i just pick up uh, a pen and paper and so i just pick up i get i get my pen and i just put a timer on and i just write i write for at least like 20 minutes that usually kind of like whatever thoughts are are, are coming to me I write them and that kind of like almost takes them out of my head puts them um, into this journal and I get um, instant relief so that's powerful yeah so that's kind of how I jump started and then I have to get back into my routine of like Having a morning routine where I wake up, I read something that's uh, inspirational. I do my like daily journaling, set some kind of goals, get moving, some kind of physical activity. Uh, just doing something that makes me feel good about myself. And the keys to keep it going so that that feeling of progress, uh, that that feeling of progress is kind of addicting. You want to do more once you feel what it's like to to accomplish something.
0: Yeah, when well, we're not quarantined, Harry. And for the rest of the listeners, I like to meet with Pasha if I could. I mean, we, we were on a good stretch where we met at least once every single week and had lunch together and talked. And then, you know, sometimes we'll go a few weeks or a month or so. But I remember he's like, yeah, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna go for this organization and ride a bike from Pittsburgh down to uh, D.C. I'm like, do you ride a bike? He's like, no. <laughs> How many miles is this? He's like, 300. And somebody donated a bike. No training, nothing. He gets on with these guys and just rides from Pittsburgh to DC over how many days did that four days.
1: take four days.
0: Over a four-day yes. nice. <laughs> no, it's really um it's really fascinating, you know, from the outside looking in at Pasha. You're you're I mean, your passion, I would say, is probably skydiving. Besides family and children, obviously, if somebody said, what's the one thing you could not live without? The way I know you'd probably say skydiving. And so... Yeah, yeah.
1: No, it's, it's very therapeutic for me, jumping is. So, when did yeah. you pick that up? So I started jumping in the in the army. Uh, actually, when in 2015, when I uh, when I became non-deployable, I became they put me, gave me a staff job where I was a training NCO and I was an air NCO for my unit. And I was already qualified as a free fall jumper, which is a high altitude jumping yes. in, uh, in the army. And uh, I really wanted to become a free fall instructor, so I started. But to do that, you need to you need at least 500 jumps where you can go and, and, and go through that training. So I just started chasing jumps like, like it was my job. And eventually I became a pre-call instructor. But I, I just, you know, at first skydiving was for me that numbing mechanism because when you're jumping out of a plane, you're not thinking about post-traumatic stress or whatever it's causing in your life. It's like it's I I feel it's like the same as the rush of gambling or even like drinking alcohol takes you away from the moment but with jumping, yeah. you also get you get the adrenaline rush at least in the beginning but you also get to kind of appreciate like this world you see the world from a different perspective and, and it kind of it puts your problems I feel like it makes them smaller because um, I got a chance to meet and spend actually quite a, quite a bit of time with Paul Lockhart who was a commander of discovery space shuttle for two missions and I asked him what was of the best thing like what's the, his biggest t- takeaway from being in space and it, and, it, and he said it was it was looking out onto the world and, and realizing how insignificant we are and how small the problems are from that perspective so true. Yeah, and, that's, and I've experienced some of that, you know, jumping out of a plane 12, 15, 25,000 feet above the ground.
2: So the free-falling, like, for those of us who have never jumped out of a plane before, what is that? Uh, what does that mean, free-falling? Like, is it like for a couple hundred feet, or what's that like? The so free-fall, it's,
1: it's essentially, it's like civilian form of skydiving. So the, in, the, in the military, you can jump static line, where you, you're jumping out of a plane between 800 to 1,250 feet. You jump out and your parachute gets deployed by a static line. You essentially don't. Okay. You just gotta get out of the plane.
0: What seems to be the hardest part is getting out of the plane. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, it's a perfectly good plane and it's flying. Yeah, that would be one of the hard parts, definitely.
1: So that's that's static line. and and most of the milit- most of the service members who are airborne, that's the kind of jumping they do. But then in the mainly in the special operations community, for select few troops, you get to jump. It's a lot more advanced. It requires a lot more ability to to perform that kind of uh free fall jumping, which you jump out. I mean you can jump out anywhere from four thousand to twenty-five thousand, thirty-five thousand. Jeez. Depending on what you're trying to accomplish. But for training purposes, we usually jump at twelve thousand five hundred right around where you don't need to have uh, oxygen on board. Okay. You you jump out, you fall for about a minute and uh, around four thousand 3500 you open up your parachute and then you fly your parachute down to your uh landing landing zone drop
2: zone how long does it take to drop 8,000 feet or so is that from like, uh it's about a minute it's like 50. Yeah. that's 50 like the fastest minute ever i bet <laughs> that's got to be insane i'll tell you what man i was doing
0: planks like today, I was Julia had me doing a home workout from some YouTube video because we're quarantined and you can't go to the gym. And after a grueling like nine minute ab workout, they ended it with a one minute plank,
1: <laughs> and I was
0: dying for that minute. <laughs> that minute was the longest. I can tell you how long a minute is, Harry. I probably could have went thirty five thousand feet in that one minute. <laughs> Uh, you also had a, a little adventure jumping out of a plane and um, miscalculating slightly not too long ago. Yeah,
1: so it wasn't miscalculating; it was uh, it was more of uh, complacency and, and ego. Uh, so by that time, I was already fairly advanced. I already I was already one of the few instructors in my unit, and uh, it was a beautiful jump. But when it came time time to land, usually I turned about three hundred feet. To the ground, you when you're flying your landing pattern, your final your final leg of the pattern is a 300 feet, and uh, this time I was I was a little bit low. I was like 270, 270 feet. And even then, I could have done it a lot safer than I did. But I, I did a more aggressive turn, and, and I dove. And uh, by the time I realized that, uh oh, I messed up. It was, it was too late. So I ended up hitting the ground before I could level out my parachute. So I would fly across the ground, and, and I ended up hitting the ground about, about 30 miles an hour. It was, uh, it was brutal. It, it hurt a lot more than anything else that I've, that I've ever done. Did you break
2: anything? I mean, you, I mean, you just got up and walked away, or what was the deal with that? And I did not get up.
1: I was taken away in an ambulance I was there probably within two minutes but somehow i ended up i didn't break a single bone hitting the ground so hard i i tore this pack off like where it's oh. t- but i didn't even know that that happened until like a month later when i was like something is off and they i asked they send me so to go get an mri yes There's- <laughs> there
2: was a dip. he did break the ground a and the little fact bit that here. he was walking with one arm touching the ground and the other one not he was you know he figured something <laughs> was wrong eventually like a typical guy
0: if somebody saw you out do i mean you just you're like a regular dude you know very calm mild-mannered like no one will ever ever know just by looking at you that you have this story about you and it's just so amazing that a guy like you—I mean, you've stared death in the face. I can't imagine and walked away three three times that we know of. God knows how many there were that we that that were insignificant to you. Somehow, not a bone broke. I mean, you've stepped on a on a landmine that usually takes limbs off people. You got tossed—I don't know how many feet in the air. What what was the feet elevation? Did you have anybody there measuring how high up you went?
1: Nobody I was the only one there, but I, I ended up about fifteen feet away from where I from where I started.
0: So there was an explosion, you flew, you landed and nothing broke in. and and if that wasn't bad enough, you jump out of an airplane, hit the ground harder than you're supposed to, and walk away with a torn muscle like nothing happened to
1: you. I'm definitely one of the luckier or blessed, whatever you believe it.
0: People, <laughs> <laughs> I'm blessed you're with us, man. So, so look, here's what I think I'd, our our listeners would want to hear. Because, but with with you know the people who are listening, they're either entrepreneurs, they're in business, they're leaders, they're in sales. You're being you're getting quite a reputation around uh, the corporate community as being a keynote speaker. So companies are bringing you in and you're talking to them. One, why would companies be interested in what you went through with PTSD? Like, is there is there a way you can, you relate to what people are going in a corporate world?
1: Well, it's, you know, PTSD, it's uh, all it is. It's it is. It's like being stressed out, but to a whole different level. So in my routine, the routines that I had to establish in order to function normally, they apply to anyone who is experiencing any kind of stress in their life. It's basically, to live well with PTSD, you have to be able to manage stress. I think I can say with confidence that most people in corporate America go through stress, stressful experience throughout their day, uh, on the way to work, in the way dealing with clients, dealing with bosses, dealing with partners. You know, again, unfortunately, because it's such a personal experience, very few people talk about it. So instead of dealing with stress in a proper way, what most people end up doing is they end up numbing it instead of healing it. And that's essentially what I did. So what I tried to do is I tried to use my story of numbing my stress to kind of warn them about what happens if you keep doing it. My, My journey was over a 10 year period and it got expedited by my traumatic experiences you take a regular person who has a stressful life it's going to happen a lot slower so if somebody's picking up bad habits maybe it'll take 20 years the problem is by the time they realize it's going to be too late to come to kind of climb out of the hole and the worst part about is especially people with families you're either going to push people closer away, and uh if you have children their child their childhood might be It will definitely suffer, but it can be lost because people did not know how to handle stress properly. Yeah,
2: that's very valid. Yeah, you know, it's like uh, so many people are just chasing the dollar, right? And uh, they'll sacrifice everything for the dollar and find out, you know what, this is really not making me happy. So they'll take on all kinds of stress, chasing the dollar, and everything else suffers. Yeah. Right. So, you know, what you mentioned just really strikes a chord because we see it, you know, I'm not going to say a lot, but you see it consistently where people have every material thing they could possibly want. And then, you know, there wasn't a lot of good household family management going on because something gets sacrificed if that's what your pursuit is. So what you just said is, uh, you know, it's definitely applicable. People don't, I mean, in general, because they don't even know what's going on. Just like what you said with the uh, PTSD. Most don't know that they're going through that. Yeah. Right. And, you know, similar. Let me
1: add one more thing to it. I think it's a lot easier to chase a dollar than to look inside and start taking so You're damn certain about that, man. Just you
2: know, if it, you know you're married, I mean, any one of our wives asked us to do something with the family that's going to be challenging. We said, "No, I've got, I've got to. I got work." Yeah, right. Work is the easy thing to do. Yeah. Right? Changing, looking inward, being a better parent—those uh those things are all require a little more effort.
0: Yeah, and easy to ignore because it's
2: never your fault.
1: Yeah.
0: So, Posh, for those those people that are working their corporate jobs and they're stressed and they're coming home, taking that out on their kids potentially hitting the bar on their way home, turning to alcohol, you know, as a escape route for them. What, what's your recommendation for them when you're coaching someone like that? What do you, what do you try to get them to? What what point do you try to get them to?
1: So the first thing I would do is I would get them to pay attention, pay attention to what they're doing and why they're doing it. I would not ask anyone to change, like, Let's say if somebody goes to a bar, like you know, to get a drink to take the edge off, or let's say they're doing it at home as soon as they get home. It's it's impossible to make these these big drastic changes unless some something drastic already happened in your life and you have to do it. But if it's just like a decision, somebody's like, um, I'm struggling. I know I should be doing something, but they don't know what to do. It, it's never going to be. I'm going to quit drinking. It just doesn't work like that it's like somebody who's never worked out going to a gym and wanting to deadlift you know 400 pounds uh, i think it's the same analogy so the first thing i would do is get the person to pay attention and just become aware of what is going on in their life if all of a sudden they crave a drink something happened to trigger that craving so Pay attention to that. And, and the second thing is, I would uh, after paying attention, you would see there's some things that you know you could improve, but it would be very difficult. Then there's some other things that are uh, much easier to, uh, to improve. So that's what I would start. I would start with the lowest hanging fruit. And once that one thing is improved, you'll get a sense of progress, and then you'll notice what's the next thing. And that's how I would build the momentum and, and start moving in the right direction. Because that feeling of progress, we all, all like all as human beings crave that feeling of progress. And, and that's what you have to set up for yourself. That's that's what I had to do in order to, you know, break a bunch of bad habits and and build good habits, solid habits.
0: You're listening to a ton of books, you're attending different events, you're hanging out with some people who are just some amazing people like a medal of honor recipients. And I mean, some some folks you see with millions of followers on social media, it's really cool to see all that progress for you. Yet what I love most, I think is and when I see you come most alive is when you're taking amputees or other warriors who have been hurt skydiving with you and arranging those types of events. What's that do for you inside when you're able to do that?
1: It's amazing. It, uh, it takes two of my, you know, top passions of of helping somebody who's struggling and jumping out of planes and putting them together. And you can't go wrong with that. The the team fast tracks that I'm so grateful to be a part of. We have about forty members, about fifty percent of them are former military uh, or veterans and they the team does so many good things for for the veteran community and uh, that's that's where i learned it from i, I went to uh wounded Warrior weekend that the team puts on annually in ohio it, uh, had an amazing experience and then uh, i kind of brought it up and started talking to the local drops in here in virginia uh skydive orange and that's when we organized our our first uh, uh event that's courage project this is that's why i'm that's the shirt that I'm wearing, and it was amazing. We had uh, about two dozen wounded or like severely injured service members come out, and the best thing about it is everybody's smiling. Veterans are smiling, instructors are smiling, people come out just to watch, everybody's smiling. It's just such a feel-good event, and, uh, and that's why I love it.
0: That's awesome. There's a picture online of you in the middle of a jump, and uh, you might have been recording. What looked to be like a double amputee strapped onto another diver. And if you look at everybody's face, you're absolutely right, including yours, because you had the you had the Halo helmet on, big cheesy smile coming through. It was awesome. Yeah. That's great to see. So you're doing all this cool stuff. What's it look like in the next three years for Pasha? You know,
1: that's uh our- That's a good question. I am about to be medically retired from the Army, and uh, I don't think I'm capable now holding down a a typical 9-to-5 job. So what I will do is uh, I think I'm going to try to do a lot more of what I've been doing, which is... Uh, raising awareness about PTSD to help those who are struggling. Exactly how everything's gonna happen, I'm not sure. Next week, I'll, I'll get to be a part of Verbis. Is that next week already? I thought they moved it to like September. Virtual Verbis is next week. It's on it's on Wednesday, and this one is gonna be big. Like Gary Lee is a part of. Huge. Djokovic. Yeah. What's this? So it's uh. For those of us who don't know, a veteran networking event. Okay, it has been. It's there's typically six of them a year, and they're physical. So there was two last year at MDM Grand. So with these kind of platforms, we had we had one in Las Vegas and San Antonio. We, we get a bunch of military influencers, and we bring them in together, and then a lot of veterans who can benefit from the resources that these influencers provide a lot of nonprofits comes we kind of bring veterans who need help and people who want to help them We bring everybody together and it's open bar there's bourbon and business that's why it's called burgers Ah. it's a win-win so usually all these big military brands like black rifle coffee bronze style everybody comes together and um and it's a good time so but now because of everything that's going on with COVID 19 it's going to be a virtual event and this virtual event is going to be even bigger than, than any of the physical events because of the type of influencers Scott Davidson and Justin Constantine, who are the founders of Burbis, were able to bring together.
0: I've been to a couple of Burbis events with you, Pasha. It's, it's truly an amazing, amazing event. And, uh, yeah, I, the, the best part was just riding in the car to get there with you. So <laughs> I enjoyed it. Um, well, for me personally. So how how can people get in touch with you and learn more about your services? Uh,
1: so th- the best thing is just connect with me on either Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. It's uh, Pasha Palanker. That's my handles. And I have a website, Pasha Palankar. Uh It's a still a huge work in progress, but you can reach me uh, over email as well, Pasha, Pasha com, And... And we'll, we'll put all those in the show notes. Yeah. And, and typically, if mean, you're yeah. a veteran who's looking, you know, to get help with struggling with, with these issues, or if you're just, you know, a human being that's dealing with stress and, and you need some advice, some help, or maybe just somebody to listen to, I'll be more than happy to keep this conversation going. Yeah,
2: I mean, I'm going to call you after this call, after this uh, <laughs> podcast. It's like... Uh, yeah. <laughs> you're like the perfect guys like harry you've got no problems what are you talking about
0: am i stressing you out harry
2: no not not that much all right okay, the real truth is just a little bit so how can we help you young man you are making the world a better place uh i'm madly in love with you and uh i just love what you're doing so how how can we help well you? first of all you already
1: did today was a rough day i I spent literally probably eight hours trying to load certificates onto my military ID card so I can get access to my military email to see if my retirement orders are there. Spent an hour on the phone, ended up the guy ended up telling me I don't have this software, which can't help I need to go the ID card. Aye, aye, aye. I was just and I was already besides that I was already like in a pretty bad place. I genuinely feel better after talking to you guys. I think a big part of it is because I I got to talk and share my message, which always makes me feel better. The biggest thing that you guys can do is continue on with your mission. Keep going with this podcast. I want to see this thing blow up because if you blow up, then more people will get my message. So it's selfish. It's you. Yeah. No, no, that's,
2: that's what this is all about, dude. We want to help you. Right. This is why we're doing the podcast. I don't know about Eric. This is why I'm doing it. It's all about helping others, getting their message, their brand, the way they're making impacts with others. Uh, And my heart goes out to you. I mean, I just can't express that enough. It's just, I mean, I knew nothing about PTSD. I mean, I'm reading about it because I'm researching you. I've never been in the military. Uh, You know, how many people look at PTSD and say, well, that's an imaginary I mean, before they used to call that uh, back, I mean, in different wars, shell shocked, yeah. um, right? Different things. And then here you're just exposing, completely vulnerable, saying this is what it is and it sucks. I have to go lock myself in a room basically and just wait until it passes. I mean, we don't know that. I mean, hell, I mean, we, you know, we have no idea. And we know you're talking about the the suicide thoughts and what others are dealing with it just completely eye opening for me and God I'm just honored that uh, I can just participate in this podcast and just listen seriously no joke
0: it's good yeah, stuff just know Pasha you are touching a lot of lives and your message is helping a lot of people and I hope if you're listening and your company has a team if you have people then you bet that you guys have stress and you're dealing with stress. And instead of having your regular motivational speaker come in who's writing their speeches out, um, Pasha's never went through any kind of particular motivational speaking training and never claims to be a motivational speaker. But what he is, is an inspiration through his story that that when people listen, and I've I've had the uh, pleasure of being his cameraman at a few of his speeches and I see how it affects people once they hear that, holy crap, what I thought was my low is nowhere near how bad it can actually go. Where I am right now is really not that bad, I can do it, I can get out of it, I can feel better, I can be happier just by listening to a story. So if you wanna help this hero out, get your company to invite him in, whether it's Zoom or have him fly out or if you're in the DC area, have him come and visit you locally, I guarantee you, you're gonna, you're not gonna be disappointed.
1: Thank you, Eric. Awesome, appreciate it.
0: Pasha, it, it was so cool to speak with you here, man. I always, my day lifts every time we talk, and uh, I want to thank you for coming on our show. It's an honor. From here to there, you're gonna grow because you've listened to our show. If you like our podcast vibe, don't be a stranger. Hit subscribe. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to join the B2B Sales Secrets Facebook group and we'll see you on the next episode.